Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. So I am so excited to continue the trend today on talking about Great Depression era tips and recipes and ways of frugal living that were gleaned from that era. And so we're going to continue that topic today. And actually what we're going to be focusing on today is potatoes. Um, In episodes past, we've talked a lot about using cornmeal and flour, vegetables, wild game. Um, You guys have shared some awesome recipes with me as well. And I just love reading all the comments and the stories. And I can't wait to try out some of the recipes myself that you guys have shared back with me. And so I really wanted to go in today on to using potatoes. You know, it's funny, potatoes kind of gotten this bad rap. You know, people think potatoes aren't healthy or they're just full of starch, that kind of a thing. And while potatoes are considered a starchy vegetable, it's not like they're bad for us. You know, they have a lot of vitamin C and potassium in them. And if you eat them with the skins on, then there's quite a bit of fiber in the skin. So they're not a bad empty food. And You know, I see a lot of this online, especially, and I have even been guilty of this myself. So don't think that I'm like exempt or pointing fingers or anything like that. But we seem to really get caught up in our food lately. You know, whether you be dairy-free, gluten-free, vegetarian, only organic, non-GMO, and people can get really um, rude and judgmental in their comments to someone who may not follow the exact same thinking or diet as them. And this, it's not right. (laughs) You know, we do try to do a lot of organic ourselves. You know, I do believe in eating wholesome, real food, not processed food that has a lot of chemicals in it and all of that kind of a thing. But just because someone else isn't at the same point as I am or doesn't necessarily believe that, it doesn't give us the right to put them down. I mean, I think that we can encourage each other and share what we do for our family. But I think that there's a danger in saying that my way is the right way and the only way when it comes to our food. And I think a lot of times that we can really hurt people's feelings and then we can turn them off of the way we're doing things for good because we didn't present it to them in a kind way. So I just kind of want to put that out there And for myself as well, you know, there's been a lot of times um, that I've been like, oh, you shouldn't eat that and here's why. And maybe I didn't really present it in the best case or, you know, I wasn't really considering their feelings. Um, And kind of, you know, the thing with the Great Depression era type stuff is, quite frankly, when we're strapped for cash and we don't have very much money, usually the food bill is one area, at least I know in our home, the food bill. Our food and grocery money is one area where I have control and I can cut back if we really have to have use our funds for something else. You know, my mortgage payment stays the same. Um, my insurance stays the same, even though I shop around and try to get the best possible rate. And so, you know, a lot of things we can't really change that are set prices. Yes, we can cancel cable. You know, you can do things without another area we try to keep money down on is our utility and power bill by turning off, you know, all of our lights and using insulated blankets for um, different things, putting everything on a power strip so that it doesn't draw phantom power and unplugging the entire power strip when we go to bed at night. You know, there's lots and lots of ways, you know, using cold water, using the dryer. I mean, there's definitely lots of ways that we do try to lower our other bills, but our food bill is just one area that I can really 
um, cut back on when I need to have money for something else or put money away. And part of that is because we've worked on building up a food storage. And so there has been weeks and sometimes almost a month where I haven't went to the grocery store except for perhaps milk and cheese. Those aren't two things that we currently produce ourselves or that I have a, a local person that I can get them from as far as bartering or trading goes. And so, you know, sometimes when it comes down to using our money on our grocery bill, we don't have a lot of extra money. And organic things do cost more. Some of them I definitely feel are worth worth the cost. And some of them really aren't that much more than their counterparts when you get to looking at it. So I just really want us to be, you know, cognizant and respectful of other people because I just see that so much in our society these days that we're very intolerant if someone's view isn't the same of ours. Um, and so that's just something that I wanted to bring up and share that's kind of been on my heart. So I wanted to go back to talking about potatoes. You know, potatoes is something that was a very frugal crop and it was used um, a lot in homes even today and certainly during the Great Depression era. And one of the reasons is potatoes is a fairly inexpensive and fairly easy crop to grow. Uh, it grows under the ground in tubers and it's a crop that you can plant a lot of and then you can harvest a lot as long as you know it doesn't get diseased or something like that. And it also has a really good storage capability. Um, of course, certain varieties store longer and better than others, but you can store potatoes. In fact, here um, on our homestead, we store potatoes so that we have our own seed potatoes to plant back for next year. So it's not something that we're purchasing from the store, which I really do love. If there's anything that you can you know get and then keep reproducing, producing it at your own home without having to go back to the store for it. I just think that that's fabulous and a great way to be self-sustainable and definitely a Great Depression era tip. So generally, you know, people back then is you saved um, a certain amount for your seed potatoes. So you would harvest your potatoes or you get seed potatoes from the store or another farmer, um, whatever your source would be, and you plant them. And we plant our potatoes um, in the very late spring here. We're in the Pacific Northwest where we normally have a shorter growing season and it's usually quite chilly and soggy in the first part of the year anyways. And so we put our potatoes in in this in the spring when the ground is still on the cooler side and to put plant your potatoes you have your seed potato and you know when your potatoes start to sprout when they're on the shelf well that is a potato wanting to grow and so you plant that in the ground a couple inches deep until it starts that sprout will grow up and, and form leaves and then once it breaks the surface and is a f about three to four inches tall a little bit taller you start to hill it up and the reason from that is because where that plant is sprouting it sends out these little nubs off of that and that's where your potatoes form and grow but they need to grow underneath the ground and so you keep hilling it up just leaving a small amount of the plant at the top and you do that about three or four times until it's all hilled up and then that's where your potatoes are going to be forming is underneath the ground and I actually have a full-on tutorial on how to if you want to plant potatoes how to do that um, and I will post those notes in the sh or the link to that in the show notes so when you harvest your potatoes we let ours dry and harvest out. If you have a really, really mild, um, some people will leave them in the ground over winter. In fact, there's been a few times where I thought I harvested all of the potatoes and then we went in the spring and went back <laughs> to plant and we've tilled up and raked and then we've came across more potatoes and they wintered over just fine. Um, a few of them had rotted over the winter when it got real wet and then 
and that kind of a thing. So there's many times that potatoes can just be left in the ground, actually. Um, and you can just go throughout the winter. Of course, you get some hard frost and the ground gets frozen. And you can't really dig them up. And they do, um, especially if it's really wet, stand the chance of rotting. So I do recommend pulling them up and not wintering them over in the ground. But if you happen to leave some behind, they will be just fine. <laughs> so potatoes store really well in a potato, sh- um, in, you know, potato shed or a cold storage root cellar type thing. The biggest thing with potatoes is they need to be kept cold. They need to be kept away from the light because if they're in the light, then they will try and start and sprout. And then they can develop that green on the outside of them as well, which isn't um, a good thing. And so that is one of the reasons potatoes were used um, a lot during the Great Depression is because people could buy a large thing of potatoes and it would store really well and it's really cheap. In fact, even today, potato crops are still fairly inexpensive. Um, I was looking on Costco, at Costco and Costco, you can get a 50 pound bag of potatoes for nine sixty five dollars um, on their website as of right as of today. I looked that up right before the, their price there. And so 50 pounds of food for nine sixty five that's pretty inexpensive, you guys. And that was one of the reasons it was used during the Great Depression. And of course, there's so many different varieties of potatoes as well. You know, you have your your reds, your russets, your bakers, but my very favorite, and this is the variety that we grow at home. And this is, it's a purple, it's an heirloom purple majesty potato. And it is purple. And I mean like royal purple. And it's purple all the way throughout. The skin is purple and so is the flesh of the potato. And the reason that I love this so much is one, it's an heirloom. And you guys know I have a thing for heirloom vegetables and plants. Anything that's old fashioned, I just have a love for. It just has a soft spot in my heart. So if you're like me and you love antiques and vintage and just the heirloom and and the things of the past, then you're going to love this potato as well. And so it's a really deep purple, which means just like, you know, you're any fruit or vegetable that has a really deep, dark color, it has more antioxidants in it. And so the purple potato, um, from my research and what I've read, has 10 times more antioxidants than a regular potato. So that, of course, makes me just a little bit happy as well. So, and I love it because when I use the purple potatoes and we do like mashed potatoes, anything, the potatoes are purple. And so it's kind of fun. The kids get a kick out of it. And my daughter who's five years old and loves anything that is sparkly and girly, loves that her potatoes are purple. (laughs) So they're really fun and they're easy to grow. They're just like a regular potato as far as preparation and cooking wise, but they are just a really fun thing. So that's what we use a lot of at our house. And so, of course, there's many, many ways to use potatoes, but some of the ways that um, that they were used during the Depression era and some recipes and ways that my family has passed down is, of course, your mashed potatoes. You know, I think everybody is familiar with mashed potatoes, but they're a great way for, to make a side dish and you can put gravy on it with your meat to incorporate it through a meal. And then this was a way that my mom had potatoes when she was growing up. And last week's episode that I shared was actually recipes and Great Depression era tips that involved like cornmeal mush and some different recipes like that in the wild game. And that was episode number 44. This is episode 45. So if you want to catch any of those, you can just go to melissacanoris.com, click on the podcast button and look at that particular episode. And then when you click on it, I have actually full show notes and transcriptions so you can look at everything that we've talked about. But this was something that my mom had when she was growing up. And I have to tell you, it's really funny. I'm going to share it with you, but she didn't like it. Now she loved the cornmeal mush and, and the bear meat recipes, but she did not like this one. And so my grandma would take potatoes and she would just boil, she would, you know, um, dice them up and boil them in water, kind of like you would do if you were doing mashed potatoes, 
But she didn't do mashed potatoes. She would just boil the potatoes and drain them and put a little bit of salt on them. And they just had boiled potatoes for dinner. Now, I don't know if at the time it was because they maybe didn't have any milk or butter to make mashed potatoes. That might have very well been the reasoning. But my mom just hated them. (laughs) She said they were just blah and boring and they were just plain old boiled potatoes and she didn't like them growing up. So... She never made just plain boiled potatoes for us either because it was something that she did not enjoy. But if you don't have any butter or milk and all you have are potatoes and a little bit of salt, then it's definitely going to fill a belly. And that's what a lot of the Great Depression era type meals were. It was was something to give you sustenance and so that you weren't hungry. Um, But like I mentioned, potatoes do have some nutritional value to them. And then this is something that we really like to do. So if you made a big old pot up of mashed potatoes and you happen to have some left over, which occasionally we have some left over at our house, we tend to really like our mashed potatoes here. And so when I make them, um, I try to make a big pot so I have some left over. But one thing that we like to do is we like to make um, potato cakes out of the mashed potatoes. So the next morning for breakfast, we'll pull out some of the um, mashed potatoes and usually we'll whip up an egg and maybe add just a little bit of milk. And then I will grate in some cheese and use a little bit of garlic powder and onion powder. And I will just form like a patty, essentially, with your hands. Just form a patty. And then in a cast iron skillet, heat up a little bit of whatever you use for your cooking. We, I personally love lard. A little bit of bacon grease makes these taste fabulous. You can also just use butter, coconut oil, whatever your fat is. Get that going. Preheat your skillet. Put a, just a little bit, a small layer of oil. You're, we're not actually deep frying them per se, just enough so that they don't stick to the to the bottom of the pan. So I usually just put a little layer in there and let that heat up. And then you just put them in there like a patty and you just fry them up. And then flip them over after they turn golden on one side. And then when we pull them out, I usually take a little bit of cheese and I grate a little bit of cheese on top and as they're cooling that melts. And that's one of our favorite ways to use up leftover mashed potatoes. And it's a great way to, to stretch your breakfast. And you don't have to put the egg in. We like to put the egg in. It helps pull it together, hold it together a little bit more, but you don't have to. So if you don't have any eggs, then don't worry about it. You can just still do it that way. So that's one way that we really like to stretch out potatoes. And Another thing, now this is really an old-fashioned Great Depression tip going back even further, and I've seen recipes, and I've, I've done it once, and I plan on doing it some more, and that is using potato, if you've ever seen recipes for potato bread, um, potato rolls, the water, and I just love this because you're not wasting any part of what you're using, which was a, the very Probably the biggest thing that we can learn from the Great Depression is using to to use everything that you have and finding new purposes for it. So when you boil your potatoes, if you're making mashed potatoes or whatever else you need your cooked potatoes for, potato salad, don't throw out the water that you boil them in. So the water from when you boil the potatoes has starch in it which is great when you're baking bread products. And so reserve your potato water after you drain your potatoes. And if you're baking bread or rolls or anything like that, you use the potato water in place of your milk. And so this is really great if the cows ran dry or you don't have any milk or, you know, milk's kind of expensive and water's pretty cheap usually (laughs) where we're on our own well. So water doesn't cost me anything. And so you use that potato water in place of the milk or in place of some of it. Use it as a liquid in your bread recipe. And so I just love that tip. Now, you can also drain it and put that starch water, the leftover potato water in the fridge, but you don't want to leave it in the fridge and not use it for more than a day. So it's kind of something that you're going to want to use um, quickly. I'm I'm sure that you could freeze it 
Um, but it's just usually best if you use it within a day, within 24 hours um, into your bread product. And so that I really, really loved. In fact, there's an excellent baker um, in the town that I work in and she's an old family friend. And she only uses potato water in her cinnamon roll dough. And so that's a tip that, you know, a lot of a lot of um, folks know about, but it's kind of becoming one of those lost things. You know, there's so many traditions and tips that was done when people did everything by hand and it was passed down and you didn't run to the store for everything or buy it already pre-made, pre-done up. And so that's one of the other reasons that I really love this depression era, learning these things and the whole pioneering today is passing these skills on to one another and these tips. And I'm sure you have tips that I haven't heard of and vice versa. So I really do love it when you guys come and you comment on the blog posts and the podcast notes because you're sharing not just with me, but then with everybody else who's listening to it. And I just think it's wonderful that uh, with the internet that we have this availability of sharing information that otherwise before that, none of us would really have access to. So I just encourage you if you have you know tips and those kind of things to please come and comment and share. I love it or email them to me and, and I can share them. So those are, that's just one of the things that I wanted to share. Now I have, I was telling you guys that I had came across, um, there's a lady in the town that I work and she is just like me and she has a love of old vintage things. And she has collected old cookbooks for a really long time. And she is sharing those with me. And so she shared with me, it's a 1922 copy of Good Housekeeping's Book of Muse actually. And in here is a recipe. It says it's chocolate nut pie, but they used potatoes for the chocolate part of the pie. So they took mashed potatoes and added sugar and melted chocolate and a little bit of butter. And they just whipped that up together and then they put it in a prepared pastry shell. And that is the chocolate pie. And so I haven't tried it yet. Um, I do want to try it because I think it'd be really fun. But I just thought, who would have ever thought, not me, of using mashed potatoes in a pie recipe, like sweet like that with chocolate. I just thought it was really cool. Maybe you guys have already heard about this and it's not anything new to you, but I just thought that was really interesting and awesome. And so, like I said, that was from a 1922 copy of a good housekeeping book of menus. And so I just thought that was a really awesome idea and I want to play around with it and try it um, before I post a full recipe like that up on the blog. But I just want to share it with you because I thought it was so cool. We were talking about potatoes. So I wanted to share that because I just thought it was awesome. And then this is a, a recipe um, that my dad uh, loves and that he remembers really fondly actually from his childhood. And so it was something that uh, my grandma made for him. And that is creamed potatoes, carrots, and peas. So you have three vegetables and you make creamed potatoes out of it. And then you add in the cooked carrots and the peas. And he really, it's one of his favorites to this day. In fact, we were just pulling up the carrots out of the garden because we've been getting some good hard freezes here. We've been down in the teens actually overnight. And so we've been harvesting the last of the root vegetables when it, as we can get them and bring them in. And so he was saying that he couldn't wait to have some creamed potatoes and carrots with peas. And you know what? That is really a great way to stretch, you know, soups. Soups, we talked about this in our um, last week's episode on podcast number 44 that was five tips on the uh, Great Depression era recipes. And soups is a great way to stretch the budget because when you add in the water or the cream or the sauce, the thickener, it's a way that you can take something and spread it out and feed a lot more mouths than you could have if it was just by itself. So if you just had like say four potatoes, a couple carrots and a little thing of peas, 
that's not really going to seem like that much when you dish it up on everybody's plate. But if you add that into a soup or you do the creamed potatoes, it really stretches it and it makes it a lot more filling. And so that was what, you know, finding ways to do that was definitely key during the Great Depression and now and on up anytime through you come through a frugal time. So how you do it is you will... Um, boil cube up your potatoes and you'll boil them and then you can eat you know you can roast the carrots and the peas or you can boil them as well and if like I said I would boil the potatoes and I would save that potato water for whatever bacon you have going on and then after those are cooked until they are done then you're going to take a pan and you're going to make your cream sauce and I use a cream sauce in a lot of things and I will post the um, my tutorial on that and the recipe that I do for that I don't buy canned creams of soups of anything like that, like the condensed cream soups. One, they have some questionable uh, ingredients in them, and they're not cheap, you guys. Like, they're anywhere, you know, honestly, I haven't bought them in probably about three or four years or more. So I really don't know what the going price is now. But I remember back when I was buying them, especially for the name brand, not the off-store brand, you know, they were like a buck something, buck 30, buck 40 a can. They weren't cheap. And I can make, using organic ingredients, I can make the cream sauce to take the place of it for in like three minutes. It's really fast to do. And it's cost me, I, I guesstimated it cost me about 50 cents. Now, if you're, and that's organic flour and organic milk and organic butter. If you're not using all organic, it's going to be considerably less. Um, so I did, that is one of my big frugal tips is if you can make it at home from scratch, it is almost always cheaper. I don't know if there's a, ever been anything I made that wasn't cheaper um, if I'm making it from scratch than buying the store-bought. So that's my other big tip. But so after you have your cooked potatoes and your carrots and your peas, then you're just going to make your basic cream sauce. So you're going to take your fat. I usually use butter when I'm making cream sauce. I just kind of have, I love butter. But you could use, um, if you're dairy-free, you can use coconut oil or coconut butter, whatever you've got. And you're going to melt that down. And then you're going to add in your thickener. Now, I usually use flour. We're not gluten sensitive um, at our home. And so I just, I usually use spelt because I just grind, I use spelt for everything. It's like my all purpose. So I'll grind up some spelt flour and toss that in there as my thickener. But you can use cornstarch or arrowroot powder if you're gluten free. So you're going to add that in and you're going to just kind of stir it together till it creates like a paste. And then you're going to add in your milk. And if you don't want to use milk, be it um, you don't have milk or you're dairy free or maybe you don't want it quite so creamy, then you can use chicken broth or um, chicken stock works just as well. So you can put that in as your liquid and you're going to pour that in and whisk it. And you're just going to pour that in until it reaches the consistent you want. Now, you can keep it on a little low simmer. And the longer it simmers, it'll thicken up a little bit more. Um, and if you want it really rich, you can also add cream. So you can really play around with this sauce. It's totally versatile, which is one of the things I just love about it. And then you can add in, you know, your salt and your pepper, your seasonings, whatever you want to add to it. And so you just make this basic cream sauce and then you put your potatoes, your peas and your carrots and you just stir it all together until everything is really good and coated. And then you serve it and that's creamed potatoes with carrots and peas. And that was one of my dad's favorite things because they grew a lot of their own vegetables Actually, they, they grew most of their own food because they didn't have the money to buy it when he was growing up. And so that was something that they could make really easily. And it was a really, you know, it was a good meal. It was filling. It was very filling. And so that was something that's one of his favorites to this day. And of course, then with potatoes, you always can do, you know, cream of potato soup especially, you know, when it's cold out as we've been here, I have been in soup mode. <laughs> I love soup. 
And so you can do cream potato soup. There's lots of different recipes out there for that. My mom loves to add a little bit of bacon to hers and make it kind of like a bacon. It's kind of like a baked potato soup when you do that. And it's really good. And so I will also um, do a note. I have a recipe and it's for the slow cooker because I love my slow cooker. And I know they didn't have the slow cookers during the Great Depression, but I use my slow cooker all the time because it's very economical and I can have dinner cooking all day and then come home and there it is ready to go, which allows me when I'm not home to still cook food from scratch and to still, you know, prepare a home cooked meal, even on the days when I'm at work. So I adore my slow cooker and I will share my recipe for my um, cream of broccoli and cheddar soup in the slow cooker. And actually, I said cheddar, but it's kind of whatever cheese I have on hand. I've used mozzarella. I've used lots of different cheeses in it. So it doesn't just have to be cheddar. But I will be sure and, and put that in the show notes for you guys as well. And so I wanted to get to um, the reader question of the week. We have a couple features that we're that I'm doing on the podcast now. And one of those is the reader question of the week. And I had shared a link on my Facebook page to the All-American Pressure Canner. And someone had asked, is this pressure canner safer than other brands of pressure canners? Well, any pressure canner is safe as long as you're following the directions on it. I can't say that any one brand is safer than the other. Um, all the pressure canners have safety relief valves now. You know, they're not like the ex- exploding ones. A lot of people heard stories about their, you know, great grandmothers exploding and hitting the roof. But they all have pressure relief valves on them now. And I've used our a pressure canner my entire well my mom used it when I was growing up and then I've used one for 15 years and I've never had an issue with one so I don't believe that the all-american pressure canner is in or safer than any other brand um, what makes it different is that it's a metal on metal seal and I actually don't have one of these yet it's kind of like the Cadillac pressure canner that someday um, when I need to purchase another one or upgrade, then that's what I plan on getting. But right now I have a much cheaper model and I can link to both the model that I have and the All-American Pressure Canner that we're talking about in the show notes as well if you want to check those out, especially if you're shopping for a pressure canner as a gift or for yourself because Christmas is coming up. So it's not any safer, but it de- it's metal on metal instead of having the gasket like the kind that I have. And my gasket I've only replaced um, once in the past 15 years, and I probably will replace it next season um, as well. It's starting to get a little bit used, but the gaskets are fairly inexpensive. But that's one of the th- nice things about the All-American Pressure Canner is one, it's made in America, which I really do like. I like to support those kind of things. Um, and there's no gasket to replace, and they're very well made. So usually you can buy an All-American Pressure Canner, and you'll never need to purchase another one. In fact, it'll probably be something that you're handing down to your children. That's It's made to last generations, which I really do love those kind of things. So, But it's not any safer per se than another brand. Um, so that is the reader question of the week. And then a couple of things that we're starting too is I've been sharing what I'm reading this week. So that's just kind of fun. I love books and I love hearing what other people are reading. And I just read a very big variety of things. I read devotionals and I read fiction and I read nonfiction. So I just thought that would be really fun to share with you guys what I'm reading this week. And if you're reading a really awesome book too, I would love to hear about it because that's how I've heard about a lot of really good books is someone saying, hey, I just read this really cool book. You got to check it out. So that's kind of what this is. So right now I just started and It's a book by Sarah Young, and it's called Jesus Calling, and it's a devotional, and what's really cool is it has a devotion for every day of the year, and so I guess you're actually supposed to start it like January 1st, but I didn't. I started it in November, and what's kind of cool is it is just a paragraph or two for each day, but it's really powerful. In fact, the first three days that I read it, I 
it was amazing because that was exactly the message that God knew I needed to hear that day. And I ended up crying, um, <laughs> which is a good thing. You know, I was really touched by it and I really felt that God was speaking to me through it. So if you're looking um, and you're seeking and you want more Jesus in your life, I highly recommend the book and I will link to that in the show notes as well. And so the third thing that I really want to incorporate into the Pioneering Today podcast, and so this is going to be a new feature as well. I know I'm bringing all these new features in for you guys. <laughs> um, but that is, I, you know, the Pioneering Today podcast is um, supposed to be, which is what my website and my books and everything that I write and do is inspiring your faith and pioneer roots. And I feel like we really focus a lot on the pioneer roots, which I love with, you know, the modern homesteading and cooking from scratch and recipes and tutorials and all that kind of stuff, which I really do love. It's very near and dear to my heart. But I don't feel like, especially in the podcast, that I have been doing the inspiring your faith as much. And so I have really felt that I just wanted to share a Bible verse, a word of encouragement towards your faith in each of the episodes. So that's going to be a new feature um, that we're going to be doing. And so um, I have really been studying the Bible more so than usual and really crying out to God in the past couple months. Um, just been going through some some things um, emotionally and spiritually. And so I've really been drawing closer to him because when things start to get hard or we're in a time of uh, stress, I've noticed that that's when I cry out and I really rely on God because I realize that I don't have it in me to do it on my own and I need him. And so not that I enjoy going through hard times, but they do make me rely on him and they are growth times for me um, in my faith. So what I, I wanted to share, and this is from Psalms 31, verse 15, and it's, my times are in your hands. And so that was just really kind of hit me the other day when I was reading it, because sometimes we feel like we're going through something, but our time is in God's hands. So that means anything that we are going through, everything that happens to us in life, it's in his hands. And we might not be able to see at the moment what he's going to do with it, but we can rest and be assured that he is going to do something with it. And he, he is going to work through it. He is bigger than any circumstance or anything that the enemy or life can throw at us. And so we just need to trust and believe that our time is in his hand and he is our deliverer and he is going to deliver us. So I just wanted to share that. That's been something that he's been pressing upon my heart. And I just wanted to give you that word of encouragement if you're going through anything hard right now. So I really am so glad that you joined me today. I hope that you got some encouragement and learned some new things and some new tips. And I would love to hear about your potato recipes or any family recipes or Great Depression era tips or frugal life living that you have. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening.